0: Hey folks, Steve Hopkins here and welcome to Kendrick Street United Methodist Church Online. Great to be with you for another Sunday um, and just to, to enjoy this time where we can pause to, to stop the busyness and the weirdness and the craziness of our lives during this particular season and just to together to turn our minds and our hearts and our attention to Jesus and His kingdom and to set our hearts and minds on things above. And so as we come into this time and this space together, just want you to hear this call to worship today. This comes from Psalm uh, 130. It's one of the Songs of Ascents. The Songs of Ascents, uh, they were uh, hymns, basically, that were uh, given to the people of Israel that as they would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the required festivals is uh, thought that they would sing these songs on their way up to Jerusalem. If you know the geography, the topography of the land, um, Jerusalem sits at a high point in the, in the land. And so um, it's believed that they sang these songs on the way up. But this is Psalm 130. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. Um, this is a Song of Ascent. So out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. If you would, let's spend some time in prayer together this morning. Um, Just going to pause and quiet and still our hearts and minds. And so if you would just bow your heads and your hearts with me wherever you are. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. We thank you that we can come together uh, in this space online and yet still be connected uh, one to another with your spirit. I pray that you would turn our hearts to you in this time to, to just quiet and calm and still um, our lives. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Help us to tune out all the other voices and all the noise from the news, from social media, from the worries and concerns about viruses and economies and governments, and to still our hearts to focus on you. As we are weary and worn out from this week, that we would rest in you. It would take your yoke upon us and learn from you for your gentle and humble at heart and we'll find rest for our souls when we come to you the source of living water father we lift up our healthcare workers and our first responders for all those who are um who are trying to figure out how to lead through this this crisis this situation in our world for our government leaders, um, policymakers, lawmakers, Lord, we lift them up to you and pray that you give them wisdom, that you give these folks strength and courage and encouragement in the days ahead. Um, for any who are sick or hurting, just with whatever might be going on in their lives, Lord, we pray for comfort. See so your Holy Spirit is a comforter and we pray for that that spirit to be with them, to be in them, to fill them and to guide them into your truth. And so, Father, we pray that you would just open our hearts and minds this morning. Help us to be open to you, to be open to your spirit, to be open to your movement in our lives, to be open to your word. Teach us what it means to wait on you. Teach us what it means to watch for you. Give us eyes to see and ears that hear your kingdom at work in our lives and the world around us, and help us to see those moments in time where we can serve our neighbors with Sacrificial love and generosity. Uh, we thank you for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, a couple a uh, couple announcements before we get into the message today. Um, just want to remind you that if you're new to our church or you're you're just joining with us online for the first time, or maybe you've been watching for the last couple weeks and. You're not really a, like a, a part of our church. Maybe you've never been to our physical location here. Or maybe you're just not receiving any of our email communications. You're just kind of following from a distance. So just want to say welcome. You're perfectly entitled to do that. And I'm so glad that you're here with us, really. You don't know how happy that makes me and what a joy it is to, to really be with you and for you to spend a little bit of time and, and hear these words today. Uh, but if you would like to get connected, so there's a link that's going to be on this post where you can just follow that link. takes you to a contact form. Just ask for a little bit of information from you just so we can get connected. I'd love to get connected with you and, and do whatever I can to help you in the next step of your journey and to see what resources we have as a church that we can provide to help you wherever you are. So if there's anything you'd like to share with us, just please do reach out. Uh, you can also find prayer requests that way. So if you'd like to submit a prayer request to us, you can do it. Um, in that same kind of way. Um, just another thing is we've been talking about this, but just gearing up for the summer and the hope and the, the expectation that one day this quarantine will all be over and that um, this, these signs of good weather and warmer weather that, that it's coming, summer's coming, and we hope that by summer this is all, all wound down at least enough that we can resume some normalcy in our lives. And so we're looking forward to Camp Bays Mountain this summer. We've already got a lot of kids that are, are looking to get signed up. And so if you know someone or, or, or you would like to go to Camp Bays Mountain, you're a kid that fits that category, um, do invite you to let us know. Um, and we will do everything we can to, uh, to get you signed up and we'll send you on your way to camp this summer. So keep that in mind. Um, and uh, just two more things. Um, be sure to check us out check out our website continue to to stay tuned to this page if uh, you'd like to join our group where our facebook group Um, it's a little bit more uh, sharing that can go on than just on a page we're more putting out content you can do a little more interaction with that so if you'd like to get connected with that um, just ask us to join and we'd be happy to invite you into that um, and then the last thing is that in this, uh, in this post, there's also a link to our online giving page. And so um, one of the things that we've talked about is generosity and how we can continue to help and serve our neighbors. Um, we don't want to just be able to keep the lights on, though obviously that's like kind of a nice thing. We'd like to be able to continue to pay the people who, uh, who have worked here, and, and we'd like all those things to happen, but more than that, we want to be a people of generosity, and we want to be able to model um, to our neighbors what service and stewardship looks like in this time. And so your gifts are important. They really do matter to us, and so if you'd like to continue to give, you can find that link here, um, in this post, if you've never done the online giving thing, some of you have done it for the first time last week, uh, I think, and some of you have done the recurring giving. But if you've never done it before, I uh, just want to say it's, it's really pretty easy. You just click the link. It walks you through the steps. Um, and if you have any questions, you can let us know, and we can get someone to walk with you through that um, and get you on that, on that process. So just want to say thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for all that you're doing as a church and as a community to care for people in need. Um, and let's get into the message for today. All right, so if you've been with us, you know we've been talking about uh, Mark's gospel for about the last 12 weeks. We planned to go through this, I mean, well in advance of any knowledge of coronavirus or anything else going on in the world. Uh, and it's just cool to see how God orchestrates things and works and moves and prepares for different times and seasons, and how um, we got into some really interesting topics and ideas in Mark's Gospel right at the time that all this started to hit, and I think today is really um, really not all that different. So we're gonna be in Mark chapter 13 today, so if you have a Bible um, somewhere in your house, if you have a phone, you can pull up the Bible app on your phone and go there as well. But we'll be in Mark chapter 13 talking about uh, what's going on there and how this fits in the larger story that Mark is writing for us and the larger story of how Jesus defines good news. So just keep in mind, just a quick refresher, when Jesus talks about good news, the good news, that word good news means gospel. And when Jesus defines the gospel, he actually says it like this. He says, repent, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, and it's now, and it's available and accessible through Him in a new and unique way. The rule and reign of God has come into the world. Uh, so as we look at Mark chapter 13, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is, is it, uh, if people look at it, and you see this in Mark, Mark Matthew, Luke, uh, this, this idea that people start to, uh, to start talking about the end of the world. And it seems like an appropriate topic for the kind of world that we're living in today. Not because the world's ending, but just because a lot of people will be quick to go there. People, for whatever reason, think that like they can try to determine the day and the hour that the world is gonna end. And I mean, many people have come up with those predictions over the years. Some of you remember a few years ago, there was this great um, prediction that the world was gonna end in 2012. It didn't end. We're still here. Uh, there was this great idea that um, when Y2K happened, some of you may not remember Y2K because you weren't alive. I was. I lived through Y2K. It was pretty serious. Um, the year 2000. That that when the calendar shifted from 99 to 2000, like the entire computer systems, everything would crash. The world would fall apart and just be chaos and pandemonium. Uh, it didn't happen. Um, and so for everyone who is, uh, who is prognosticating that coronavirus is the end of the world, um, it will, remains to be seen. But, uh, but we have good reason to suspect that it's not, actually. But all of it reminded me of something um, from when I was a kid. Uh, we used to watch the History Channel a lot when I was a kid. I always liked history. My dad liked history. My mom and sister tolerated it, so we watched the History Channel. And and originally, they used to have a lot of documentaries. Used to watch a lot of World War II documentaries, documentaries about the Civil War, just American history, some really fascinating stuff for me that we really enjoyed. Uh, But then somewhere in the 90s, probably around Y2K, as they freaked out too, um, they made a shift in their programming. And it was less documentaries and more Bigfoot. And they moved away from the Civil War and started talking about Loch Ness Monster. And they stopped talking so much about World War II and then it was all about like how Hitler was really like an alien who had come back from the future somehow and was uh built the pyramids so it got weird for a little while and I think actually maybe still be kind of weird but um one of the other things that they would run a lot were these specials uh, where they would they would talk about this guy named Nostradamus. So maybe you've heard of Nostradamus, and of course what got me thinking about this was because so many people now think that because they have social media that they are like Nostradamus. And of course they can predict um, all sorts of things that are going to happen in the world. Uh, Nostradamus is known for having um, this book of prophecies, basically, that were really what they were is just like a series of poems. Um, that he and others felt was allegedly some kind of predictions about the future. The only problem was is that those prophecies were super, super, super vague. And so, of course, you know the problem, right? He's writing these in the 1500s. Um, And and he writes these really, 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 really vague prophecies. And so then people can go forward and then look back at different events and be like, Oh, yeah, well, clearly he was predicting Napoleon. And clearly he was predicting, you know, the rise of Nazi Germany. And clearly Nostradamus was predicting 9-11. Except clearly he wasn't predicting it because no one knew what he was talking about until after the fact that it happened, which seems to me to be a pretty bad prophecy. Like, if no one knows that it's true until after it happened, then maybe it's not very good prophecy. Just my opinion. But one of the things that we see when we look at Mark chapter 13 is that Jesus is talking prophecy. And it's really fascinating how that actually plays out in history, and in the life of the early church, like in actual historical events, and how that also plays out into our understanding of maybe what we talk about at the end of the world. I'll share with you maybe why that's not the best language. I don't like to use it. Um It's very problematic for many reasons, um, and how that all fits together with our hope as followers of Jesus and how we are to live in the present time as well. And so we'll be in Mark chapter 13. We're actually going to start uh, by looking and reading through Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37, it comes at the end of the chapter. We'll allude to and kind of bring in some parts from earlier in the chapter as well. So if you just got your Bible, just pew, open up to Mark 13, you can follow along, but we'll start in verse 28 this morning. Jesus begins with these words. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. For truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping." What I say to you, I say to everyone. Keep watch. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, And so when we read this and we look at this chapter and we're kind of going through it, it seems sort of weird. It seems sort of cryptic. And it seems maybe not like the Jesus that we sometimes like to think about. Um, So what's he talking about? It's a valid question and something we need to consider. And so on the one hand, I want to start with um, some particular language that he uses. He actually talks more about this in verse 27, um, but it's this idea of the son of man. It's this idea that the son of man will return. He's referencing himself as the son of man who will return and establish the kingdom, and which then prompts this entire um, dialogue that we just, monologue that we just read coming from Jesus. And when we hear the word son of man, that maybe means different things to different people. Sometimes we just think of it as like another fancy word that Jesus uses to talk about the fact that he's divine or that he's like God or something, but we don't really have very clear understanding of what it means. And so we we need to remember that when Jesus uses the word son of man, it actually meant something. It comes from uh, the Old Testament in particular, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, the series of prophecies that are in the middle of Daniel's, um, Daniel's writing. And Daniel puts it like this. He says, he has a dream, and in his vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which is the language that Daniel is using for God, as he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He, the son of man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so one of the really big takeaways that I want us to get from, from this language that Daniel's using is what's Daniel talking about? The son of man, and the kingdom, and you remember Jesus' message? His message is the kingdom of God is at hand. His message is about the kingdom. It's about the rule and reign of God. What's the son of man? The son of man is the one who rules and reigns. So when Jesus is talking about him being the son of man, he's talking about him being the king, the king who has an everlasting dominion, the king of an unshakable kingdom, the king of a kingdom that will never end. And that sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? It's at least an attention grabber. And when Jesus says this in Jerusalem on the eve of the Passover festival, it it grabs people's attention too. Um, And of course, you know, we start to think about that and and we hear this kind of language and talking about, you know, a future kingdom and a future reality, um, and it brings to mind lots of maybe hope, lots of expectation. Um, It brings to mind those questions about the end of the world. But the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't ever talk about the end of the world but the scriptures do point to and do mention something else it's called new creation it's not the end it's a new beginning and it's a beginning uh, in which the kingdom has fully come and so when jesus gives us his prayer The great prayer that that he, I need two hands to demonstrate this. The great prayer that he gives his disciples. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that the reality of our current world is that there is the kingdom of God. It's at hand. We see that. We see righteousness, joy, peace, hope, love, faithfulness, goodness. But then we also see alongside that what we might call like the kingdoms of this world. Sin, greed, hatred, fear, panic, worry, doubt, death. These two kingdoms, they live and they coexist. But the promise of the gospel is that in and through Jesus and his work on the cross, that the kingdoms of this world are defeated. Then though they coexist for a time, what Jesus, he ushers in the beginning of an age in which the kingdom fully will come and his will will be done on earth as is in heaven, because the heavens will just overwhelm and recreate this good earth. Um, and the reason that it's all really important for us to think about is because we just, we, we kind of sometimes wrestle with that. I mean, when you just look at a world where there is sin and suffering and where there is coronavirus and where there are diseases, and we kind of scratch our heads and say, well, God, where are you? It's that what he starts in Jesus, he's going to complete one day. Uh, but as Peter says, you know, don't think that God's just slow in completing this work. I mean, he wants everyone to come to repentance and everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. If we, this is why you got to get careful about wanting God to judge the world and to judge sin. Because if you look in your own heart, if you look inside, you'll see that there's sin and there's fear and worry and doubt and concern and confusion and there's that's all inside of you and so what God is graciously doing is giving time for the world to come to know him because he's a good father who loves the world and who sends Jesus into the world to bring it back to himself Um, we hear in Revelation that what that looks like is this wonderful picture where there will be a day where there's no more death there are no more tears every tear wiped away no more mourning no more suffering no more crying no more death at all um, the old order of things has passed away. That's the great future hope that we have. And what we see when we hear the language of the kingdom of God, it's, it's literally bringing that future hope into the present reality, knowing that one day God will do that completely. But not yet. Not yet. And so for the time, these two kingdoms, they kind of coexist. But like The kingdoms of this world, they are a defeated kingdom, and they will, certainly, one day pass away of course the challenge the real 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 tricky part uh, for us and everyone who's living through it is we always ask the question that uh, many of you are familiar with and then of course peter james john and andrew asked jesus so in particular before jesus gives this whole teaching they're walking out of jerusalem they pass by the temple somebody says man jesus that's a nice building Look at, them, look at them big stones. They're real nice stones. Look at that. You, you appreciate that, right, Jesus? You, you know about stones. That's a good stone. To which Jesus says, you think those are nice stones? Three days, that whole temple, poof, destroyed. And I'm telling you, and then he goes on. He says, I'm telling you guys, listen, one day, not going to be one stone left on top of another one. Everybody's like, what? Jesus, no, you can't say that that makes us uncomfortable. The temple's a big deal. We like the temple. It's so pretty. Look at it. It's a nice building. Uh, So later on, when they get out of Jerusalem, they cross over the Kidron Valley. They go to sit on the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus was staying with his disciples for that week. And from the Mount of Olives, you can look out across the city of Jerusalem. You can see the temple. You can see the entire city, the city of David. Everything's kind of laid out before you. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they come up to Jesus and they ask him this. They said, okay, Jesus, what you were saying back there? When's all this stuff going to happen? What's the sign that these things are about to be fulfilled? Which is really just like a grown-up way of asking the question that every little kid is asked in the car is, are we there yet? And you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever been in a car with kids, we've experienced this with our kids, is that we'll be driving somewhere and inevitably, like, you know, after about 20 or 30 minutes, someone will ask in the back seat, are we there yet? And of course the answer is, well, no, we're not there yet because we're still driving. So if we were there, we wouldn't be, we'd be there. But that doesn't seem to compute with kids. And so you keep driving for a little more. Five minutes later, well, are we there yet? Well, no, we're not there yet. And you drive a little further. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Seems nice and quiet. You're minding your own business. And then 10 minutes later, hey, Dan, what's up, kiddo? Are we there yet? No, we are not there yet, right? If we were there, I would tell you. If we were there, you would know. And so this is the connection, is that so many people in the world think that like, this is it, this is the moment, we've reached the end of days, it's really just saying, well are we there yet? And what's the answer? You'll know when we get there. It will be unmistakable. Ain't nobody going to be asking the question, are we there yet? There will be no room for doubt. But until that time, you don't know. And it's good for us to remember because a lot of people are really wrestling with this in this weird season of coronavirus, um, and they don't know, like, this, this is unlike anything we've ever experienced. But What I want to just remind us is that there have always been days and seasons and ages in the world and through previous generations where there was a whole lot of uncertainty and people didn't know it was going to happen. Just think about it. I mean, do you remember maybe some of you who are around, like, remember 9-11 and just remember how weird... That was the aftermath of that. Like on 910, life was normal. And then on 912, like you couldn't go to the airport. It was a pretty drastic change, you know? And it felt like in some ways the world as we knew it was over. And lots of people ask that question Are we there yet? Maybe think back to if uh, most of you might not have been alive, but maybe uh, if you could put yourself in the shoes of someone who was alive during World War II. And uh, after Pearl Harbor, and after that great war, and then after the atomic bombs, I mean, in so many ways, like with just millions and millions of people who had died during that conflict, it probably felt a little bit like the end of the world in some ways, right? Like, you ask the question, are we there yet? I mean, our safety, our security, uh, an impending Cold War with the Soviet, like, this is a pretty big deal. So are we there yet? Maybe go back to World War I, right? The world had never experienced a mechanized war like this before. And I mean, it, it was unbelievably costly. Millions of people died. Entire um, generations in France and Germany just decimated of young men just gone forever. And then on top of that, in 1918, speaking of diseases, there was the Spanish flu pandemic, which killed 50 million people around the world, about a quarter uh, 20%, 25% of the world's population at the time. Are we there yet? We're going to even go back, let's go back further. Let's go back to the, to the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague, 1347 to 1351. It was known as the Black Death. It was just this, uh, this plague that swept across Europe, killed as much as uh, somewhere between 100 to 200 million people, uh, somewhere around half of the population of the planet was killed. You imagine what that would have felt like? Maybe you asking the question, this has got to be it. Are we there yet? Or right, maybe go back, put yourself in, in ancient Rome, and you're there around the 500s um, when, uh, when a civilization that has stood for centuries and that was just a beacon of light to the world and, and moved so many things forward was now being invaded by barbarian hordes from the north. And your world as you knew it was being destroyed. And people would maybe ask the question, well, are we there yet? This feels kind of like it's a big deal. Or maybe just to get very specific, maybe it's what it would have felt like if you were a first century Jew living in Jerusalem in the, uh, the mid-centuries, the mid-60s AD. Um, when the Jewish nation revolted against the occupation of the Roman Empire and it started a four-year war that ended absolutely brutally. For the Jewish people, and so I just want to touch on that a little bit, because if you look at Mark chapter thirteen, most of what Jesus is actually talking about is that it's an actual prophecy, and uh, and part of this is really fascinating. We'll get into it in a second of how that actually plays out in history. But in AD 39, um, Caligula, the then emperor of Rome, he declared himself divine, which wasn't something that emperors typically did. Typically, other people declared them divine. And that was cool, usually after they died, not always. But Caligula said, no, 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 I am a god. You should worship me right now. Interesting move. And so what he did is he tried to put a statue of himself in the temple of Jerusalem. That was AD 39. Caused a little bit of unrest. In Jerusalem, people weren't super happy about it, as you can imagine, that just added more fuel to the fire that um, would eventually just bubble over in AD 66. Some, uh, the Zealot Party, we've talked about them before, is was these kind of Jewish nationalists who felt that the, the best way to see God's rule and reign in the nation and to establish the kingdom in Israel again was through military force. And so they revolted against the Roman occupation. They fought back. They kicked out some of the garrisons. They fought back against the Roman legions there. And, and for a few years, um They had some mixed results in uh, in around the world. If you want to know where the the real center of this revolt was, it was in the Galilee, which is interesting. That's 30 years after there was this man named Jesus who walked and taught and lived in the Galilee and who talked about the kingdom and who talked about the way of peace and who talked about um, turning your turning the other cheek and not returning evil for evil and for loving your enemies and doing good to those who hate you. And yet it's in this particular place where that message seemed to fall on deaf ears. And this revolt um, really kicked off. And, And of course, this was only exacerbated by internal political struggle within Rome. AD 69, there were four Roman emperors. There was Nero, he died, then Otho, then Vitellius, and then ultimately Vespasian. Vespasian was the commander of Roman armies in Israel at the time. And then because he had done such a good job putting down the Jewish revolt, which was not put down by AD 69, his army supported him to go back and be the emperor in Rome, which he did. And he left his adopted son Titus in charge of the Roman uh, armies and legions in, uh, in Israel, which then ultimately Titus is the one who won who won the victory, and it all culminated in AD 70. Um, all of the other places had really been captured, destroyed. There were really two holdouts left. There was, uh, there was Jerusalem, there was ultimately the uh, Jewish fortress of Masada that was by the Dead Sea. You're not going to talk too much about Masada. You can go look it up. Pretty fascinating story there. Uh, but the siege of Jerusalem was kind of the big climactic moment. And the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem, and, and there was famine within the city. There was disease that broke out in the city. Um, there were reports that were told, historians wrote about that, that things were so bad that um, families would eat each other um, because there was just no food. And uh, because the Jewish garrison was just so intent on not surrendering. But eventually in AD 70, um, the Roman army did conquer. Uh, they, they continued to build their siege works, uh, entered, breached the city, and then they burned it to the ground. And the, the great temple, the great temple dedicated to God, they tore, down every, they tore down the stones. There were some stones left on top of one another, but not much. And then they burned everything else. And so... Um, So it's interesting, Jesus was pointing the people to this. That's what good prophecy does. It says, if you continue on your current path, here's what's going to happen. And what Jesus was telling people is that if the people of Israel continue on their current path of trying to do things their way and not God's way, of trying to bring the kingdom their way and not his way, then this is what's going to happen. The Romans are going to wreck this city and the people of Israel will no longer be a people and the Jewish state will be decimated and Judaism forever would be changed which it was because the temple was destroyed in AD 70 and it was never rebuilt. The sacrificial system was destroyed and it was never resurrected. And a whole lot changed for the people. And as an interesting side note, this is actually what really split Christianity from Judaism there was a really strong Jewish Christian movement of course you know the early spread of Christianity you read about it in the book of Acts it goes off into the Greek world um, And you might wonder well how come there was such a such a small Jewish Christian population like in the world today how'd that happen well really it's because um, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem they remembered Jesus's words about what would happen that there would be signs of pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and that when they saw these things happening, that they needed to get out. (laughs) They needed to get out, and that's exactly what they did. And so that just caused a rift uh, between the the movement who followed Jesus and between the traditional um, Orthodox Jews that just never really got repaired, that breach that never really healed. And the reason that we go through all that kind of crazy, weird, long history is because all of that, for the last, you know, however long we've been talking here, all of that sets the context for Jesus' one very simple, straightforward command. And his command is watch. That's all he said, keep the watch. In the midst of an uncertain world where you don't know um, how things are going to shake out and you don't know how things are going to end and you don't know what's going to happen, he says, keep the watch. Like our call to worship from Psalm 130, I, I wait for the Lord more than a century waits for dawn. You ever been on guard duty before? I remember this from my time when I was an infantry officer in the army, and we'd set up patrol bases, and, uh, and you'd have to keep people on the perimeter basically on watch. You know, they were, they were uh, pulling security. And, uh, and that's all pretty easy during the day, but in the middle of the night when it's dark and your body wants to sleep and it's cold and it's just getting colder... Like, that's a miserable place to be. And so if you've ever stood on sentry duty or pulled security or been on guard duty at night, you know what I'm talking about. The only thing that you really care about is when that sun's coming up. And what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 130 is that, like, my soul longs for you, God, more than a sentry who's waiting for dawn. I am watching for you like a sentry who's watching for dawn. That's the kind of posture that we're to have in an uncertain and unclear world before God. Um, You know, the thing is, as we mentioned, is that we live in this world where we're called to keep watch because there is the kingdom of God, and then there's this world of sin as well, and they just coexist. Peter put it like this, he said it in in 1 Peter 5, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Quite literally there, he says, keep the watch. It's the same words in the Greek. Keep the watch because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Keep the watch because if you don't keep the watch, then you will get devoured. Keep the watch, be alert, be on guard in the world because if you don't, Bad things will happen to you. If you don't, you will get distracted. If you don't, you will be misled. If you don't, you will miss God's activity in the world. So keep the watch. Um, And of course, some of you might be asking right now, well, that's great you keep saying it, but how on earth do I actually do that? Do you want me to just go stand outside my house and stare at the sky for a little bit? Um, Well, it's pretty clear from Scripture that's not really quite what it means. There is a way to keep the watch. And Paul put it like this in Colossians 4. He said, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping the watch and being thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, that prayer is how we keep the watch. Prayer is how we stay alert. Prayer is how we stay on guard. Directing our hearts and minds to the will of the Father and keeping company with him, talking to him and listening to what he actually has to say, that's how you keep the watch. It's in prayer. It's in prayer. reminds me of a story. A lot of you know that the Moravian movement uh, is pretty, I'm a fan of it, pretty important to me. It's the 1700s. This guy by the name of Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf um, owned some land in Germany and and invited these people, persecuted people, um, to come and live there. They were called Moravians, and they named this village that they came to live in, they named it Herrenhut. Herrenhut. And the interesting thing about that is that Herrenhut in German literally means the Lord's watch. And so you might ask, how did the Moravians keep the watch at the Lord's watch? Well, so one of the first things that they did eventually is they organized themselves 24 men and 24 women who would take one hour a day and they prayed round the clock for 100 years. They kept the watch in prayer. They kept the watch in constant prayer. And after about five years of constant prayer, they started to send out missionaries from their community. And they sent out missionaries to literally all over the world. And it was there, it was from this, from this prayer meeting that these missionaries came in contact with a young Anglican priest by the name of John Wesley, who would later go on to found the Methodist movement, 90 million Christians around the world today. And from the Methodist movement, the Wesleyan Holiness Movement, as it's called, deeply influenced American religious culture, deeply influenced um, the religious landscape of Europe, um, and of course gave rise to Pentecostalism in the United States, the largest Christian movement um, in the world today. There's literally billions of people in the world who can trace their faith back to this Moravian prayer meeting, who kept the watch in prayer. Um, I just think that's so important and it's so important for another reason too is that you know we know names like John Wesley and Count Zinzendorf but we don't know those 24 men and women no one knows their name and maybe you feel like no one knows your name you can't do anything great well you don't need to do anything great God's the great one all you got to do is pray and it's amazing what he can do with just some hearts and lives who are surrendered to just keeping the watch, and watching then what God will do in the world around you. It's wonderful to see. Um, and we remember this too because we talked about disciples do what their rabbi does. And as John puts it, like anyone who claims to be in Christ, anyone who claims to be in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, then you got to do the stuff that Jesus did. And one of the things we see is that when Jesus was in his most uncertain moment of his entire life, he modeled for us what this looks like. We hear about this, is that they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch with me. The most uncertain, uh, anxiety-filled moment of Jesus' life He chose to keep the watch. He didn't scroll social media. He didn't Google search how to solve a pandemic. He didn't walk around his house and tear a hole in his rug worrying and worrying and worrying. He didn't hoard up every roll of toilet paper he could find. He just grabbed a couple of friends and he said, come here, let's keep the watch together. I think that's so important for us in this season where there's so much uncertainty and so much fear and so much worry. And Jesus just offers us a very, I mean, honestly, a very simple method to, to, stop, to, to just calm the storm in your soul. And it's just keep the watch and turn to God in prayer and stop worrying and be grateful for what you do have and be grateful for the time that you have. And ultimately, I just want to remind us that like we can keep the watch and to keep looking out for God and to keep turning to him because he's keeping watch over us. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the primary thing that a shepherd does is shepherd keeps watch over the sheep. A shepherd keeps watch over the sheep. A shepherd keeps watch over the sheep, in particular, at night when the sheep are vulnerable. And maybe you feel like you're kind of vulnerable, right now. Maybe you feel like this world is kind of crazy and a little bit scary. But I just want you to know that God is keeping the watch over you. He's looking out for you. He's providing for you. He will take care of you. His kingdom is perfectly safe. And his kingdom is perfectly safe because like, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? I mean, just think about it, right? Most people would say the worst thing that can happen to them is that they die. But in God's kingdom, death has no power. It's the thing that like, made the early church explode across the known world. Because the thing that empires and kings and rulers try to do is they try to do the worst thing they can do to people in any given situation. And so as the early Christian movement expanded, they'd round up followers of Jesus and they'd execute them. Except the only thing is, is that they didn't care. You know, they'd just be even bolder in their speech and they'd be even more faithful in their witness. They'd be even more devoted in prayer, be even kinder and more generous to their neighbors, even though they were being executed and rounded up and and martyred by just the hundreds. It didn't matter because the worst thing that could have been done to them was actually not the worst thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter because in the kingdom of God, death has no power. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead if you believe in Jesus, it lives in you too. I just wanna encourage you in that because as God is keeping watch over you, we just turn to this this scripture in Jeremiah 31. This talks about a covenant that God is, is instituting a new covenant with his people. And he puts it like this, this covenant I make with my people of Israel, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And if they turn to me, I will forgive their sin, forgive their wickedness, and remember their sins no more. Maybe you're struggling today with where you fit into this whole thing. Maybe you're struggling with um, a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never known the forgiveness of your sin. And maybe in this this season, it's the perfect time to just surrender to remember that you don't have to have it all together uh, because God is keeping watch over you. You just need to listen to his voice. And so maybe today is the day that you can surrender to him and accept him as your, as your king, as your savior. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to pray together and then just another quick word before we get out of here this morning. So um, today, you know, if you'd like to accept Jesus as your, as your Lord, if you'd like to um, surrender to him to receive the forgiveness of your sin, um, if you'd like to have an assurance and a peace that death has no victory, and that it's not the end of the story. Um, Maybe you'd like to live in his kingdom increasingly. I'd just like to pray with you and for you today and just invite everyone, wherever you are, um, to just bow your heads, your hearts in prayer and we'll just come to God uh, in this time together. if you would, let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the peace that you give us. Thank you that you've offered yourself for us and to us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you taught and you walked among us, that you have um, been for us the image of God to show us what, what the heart of the Father looks like. And Lord, um, here and now there are some of us who, who um, are struggling with a lot of things in life. And so, Father, we pray that um, they just surrender their hearts and lives to you. They have the courage to, to trust in you to trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins, to trust in you for their daily bread, to trust in you to provide for them over the course of their daily lives. And that as we do that, we know that you will guide us forward in the days ahead. And so for some of you who are feeling that today, I just invite you to pray with me. Um, Lord, today I just, I surrender everything to you. I trust you for my eternity and I trust you for today. I trust you in the big things and I trust you in the small And I accept this gracious gift of life that you've offered. I know the forgiveness of sin in my heart. And I just surrender all those burdens and those worries that I've been carrying to you. And I ask, Lord, that you take away my sin, take away my shame, take away my guilt, take away my doubt, and instead fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might be born into your kingdom that has no end, an everlasting dominion where every tear will be wiped away, every sorrow will be put to right, and death has been swallowed up in victory. And for the rest of us who, um, who maybe are struggling to live out this season, uh, Father, I just pray that um, we would hear your words, that, that though, the, though the, the kingdoms of this world may fade, um, that though diseases will come and go, calamities and tragedies and natural disasters will strike, Um, And that this world will eventually pass away and a new creation will dawn. But of all those things, your word will never pass away. And your word will never fail. And so I pray that all of us would have ears that hear your word speaking in our lives. That you are the good shepherd and the sheep listen to your voice. I pray that we would be open to it and responsive to it. And that you give us opportunities to, to be deeper into your word and to your voice this week. Lord, reveal to us Your will in the small things of our lives as we go about everything that we do here and now. And Father, I pray that You would protect and guide and guard everyone who's joined us today. That You would send them out in the power and the strength and the wisdom of Your Holy Spirit. You would bless them and keep them. You make Your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. You lift up Your countenance upon them and give them Your very peace. And we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, like I said, if you've got anything that you'd like to share with us, do feel free to, to stay in touch with us. Fill out that contact form. Check out our online giving page. Stay in touch with this page for more updates um, as the week comes. And hey, keep on the lookout. We're going to be doing a day and a half or so of a 24-7 prayer. We've done prayer weeks in the past. We're going to do them again in the future. But just in the middle of this next week, we're, gonna, we're just going to, as a practical way to keep the watch, we're just going to have a time of prayer. Keep on the, on the lookout this week for that sign-up link um, where you can you can join in that. So if that's something you're interested in, super excited for you to join in. I'm, I'm a big fan of it, and, uh, and every time we do it, it's just a great opportunity for us to hear what God is saying in our lives and speaking to us in this season. So bless you as you go out from here today. Thanks for joining us today, um, and we'll be with you again soon. Make a great day.